Welcome back to Music Is The Drug, the Cowboy Junkies podcast. You can find us at all the main podcast outlets, so don't forget to subscribe, like, and tell people just how much you're enjoying it. And if you're not, forget everything I've just said. We're into the seamier side of life today, covering Murder Tonight in the Trailer Park from Black Eyed Man. Spoiler alert, with the help of Michael Timmins and Alan Anton, we're also going to reveal just who done it. It's one of those songs that marks the junkies out as a very different proposition from many bands, courtesy of Alan's lead bass playing, as Mike points out. Oh yeah, like the bass just moves around all over the place, and uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's like sort of a classic Al song in a way. And I mean, it's unusual in that it's not because the type of song is not it's not just a groove, but it's uh, yeah, he's like melodically all over the place. It, it doesn't it doesn't it's sort of the, the drums and the drums and Rhythm guitar, sort of what are the rhythm, and I'll, I'll, I'll sort of another lead part in the whole song for sure. That bass figure in it is uh, is such a big part of it, I and mean, it's great when you when you hit on something like that. Yeah, it was uh, it was a studio thing for sure. It was I think it was two bass lines that melded into one kind of thing it took a while to find that that groove it was kind of a strange song for us to to um to figure out because of the because of the style of it i mean it never really had a, a track like that and we're trying to figure out you know how you know our, we're not really a rock band how do we how do we get get from a to b in this thing and um you know we had ken meyer as well on guitar in, in the studio at, at that for that record so he was adding a lot of um leads and rhythmic stuff that we weren't really used to hearing or playing in our band with ken playing guitar a lot on that record it really uh, really stretched stretched out the the parameters of what we're willing to try out so it's a real kind of outside influence i think that took took that the shape of that song and it took us a while to figure out how to how to play it and how, you know just how to express it properly for us and it still is a, a weird one for us to play but it's fun when we when we get it because you know like i said it's it's rocking so it's uh it's great to pull out live you know we don't do it every every time out so we kind of forget it and then revisit it and it's not it's not really in our in our uh, pocket all the time but we can we can pull it out pretty quickly and and, and sort of get it to where we want it to be and it's you know it's always a little bit different because you know a lot of soloing and stuff going on so um yeah but it's just a really our, our most high energy song for sure it sounds more of a, a studio kind of a song i guess and i suppose having done caution horses now gone to do black eyed man you were beginning to feel a bit more comfortable in the studio like i mentioned before we we were terrified of studios ruining our sound our organic sound that we had so first two albums we tried to not do that studio thing which worked out but then the third one we ran into problems with caution horses um trying to do a live thing we didn't weren't quite satisfied with it uh the one mic thing again 
So we took it into the studio and, you know, get, became kind of comfortable with it, with the studio thing on that third record. So by the time we got to this one, we felt, uh, we felt a lot, a lot, a lot more at ease with, uh, with the technology and what it does to your, uh, your sound. If you're trying to keep it live and organic, you know, how, how to not wreck that. Um, but there, you know, the problem with the studio and the studios in those days in the nineties was that they cost 200 bucks an hour. So you, you always had your eye on the clock and, you know, t- time was time in the studio was very expensive. And you're, you're always aware of that. So you're always kind of pushing things to get it done and all that, which, you know, nobody does that. Nobody thinks that way anymore because you don't really, you know, very few bands are in that situation. You're mostly recording in your own studio with your own gear these days. But uh, yeah, so that, that's, that's kind of a, a real different, you know, recording era thing, the $200 an hour studio and what it does to your mindset in terms of, finishing things up fast or especially if you're working with a producer or an outside producer um he's always aware of that and you don't know where where the priorities are in in terms of what you're trying to finesse in a song if it's you know trying to get the drums because you only got an hour left on this song or you're going to try to do something with the guitars so it, it can get kind of muddled when you're working that way unless you've got you know endless amount of time like pink floyd or whoever in those days you know, most people didn't have that, that comfort. So I don't know, we, we, we muddled through the studio thing in the nineties fairly well, I think. And, uh, you know, once, once we got our own studio in, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands, um, there's a whole different world where you could just take as long as you want and, you know, finesse and work on things and it didn't cost you anything. Obviously the, the, the cost of those studios was, was ridiculous and, 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 and so on. But I, I wonder sometimes as well, is there a, a benefit in the sense of having those limitations? We've only got four hours to finish this thing off. We've got to do it. Whereas, you know, if you've got an endless vista of time ahead of you, you, you can noodle around a little bit sometimes. I suppose it's the same argument as, as four track against 24 track or whatever. You know, it's interesting because you could look at, if I look put together a list of my favourite, top 10 records i think a lot of them were done in one day you know because it would be a lot of john coltrane and miles davis and you know the first beatles album was done in eight hours <laughs> like there's a lot of really great records that are just off the clock that way and they're just going in and playing and and, and nailing it but you know that's pretty rare in the rock world from the 70s onwards nobody really did that so um it became a lot more of a, a studio art the whole rock music world after the seventies and probably still until today, you know, that you still are relying on, you know, you, you might have the technology at home to record your stuff, but you still need, you still need a hook or you still need a sound or you still need, you still need something that uh, that's going to set you apart from everything else. So if you don't have your own sound going on, you try to bring in an engineer or a producer to help you out on that and find, find sounds for you. So there's still that whole world of of explore, exploring and and creating that you have to get into, um, you, you know. Otherwise, you're just gonna write a song on a guitar and put it on tape and put it out, you know, which works for some people but not many. So, you know, you, when you think of someone like uh, Billie Eilish, you know, she's got very simple tracks going on, but the sounds are are really 
you know, they draw you in. Each sound on the rec on her records are just uh, really something special that they, they they sort of shimmer in the distance. And you know, I love that sort of thing when you when you hear a record that's got those kind of sounds on it. And you know, that's that's what takes time. That's what takes uh, potentially money as well, because if you're hiring someone else to do it, you have to pay them. And so there's still you know expense involved in making a good record these days. It's just a different approach, I think. I mean, it was a, it was quite a departure from from Trinity and and, and the caution horses, sort of a more powerful kind of thing, I guess. And live nowadays, it's become a a real powerhouse, hasn't it? Yeah, it's definitely a bit of a rave up live now, and it's it's one of those songs we don't do that often, and um, we should probably do it more often because it's kind of it's a complicated song as far as the music goes. It, there's lots of lots of chords that come fast and don't quite come in the same order all the time, so. It's one of those where we can have a serious train wrecks on if we if we don't um, if we're not aware of it and uh, but it's, it's fun to do and when it when it when it connects like when it happens it's really fun like it's uh it it really it's it's really fun live song for sure and you know the, the and at the end too you know the big the big the big jam out ending is really fun let, let's let let's Jeff kind of go crazy on it which is great. tons of different musicians into the studio and even on some songs we, we would have people do different take passes on it just to see how it went and and with that one um, we knew we wanted another guitar player somebody who played you know radically different than me more fluid and um so i think we first invited tony corrington who who's more of a jazz player and then um we invited ken meyer who eventually joined the band for a while uh who was more of a sort of a rock player and they both did passes on the song. And I, I think what we did ended up doing is actually cutting the, the two parts together. So some of it is Ken Meyer and some of it's Tony Corrington. And so sometimes it goes together. So it's kind of cool. It's kind of a fun experiment. I think it, it sort of gives the, the song, a, a it, it's, it's country, then it's rock. And then it's kind of got this weird kind of jazz vibe to it. So it, it kind of gave it another dimension. What was it that, that sort of motivated you to get was a guitar players in to play the lead side of it? It was just a different type of uh, style of, of lead that I wanted. You know, I, I play very specific guitars in a very specific way. So um, when it comes to lead, and it's not the first time I've done it, and it's not the last time, you know, um, even on even on um, all that reckoning, or you know, I, there's a couple of leads from different guitar players. I don't always want to hear myself, you know, and my, my style doesn't always fit the, the, the song as, as, as how I want to hear it. And um, so I'll invite different players with different styles. And usually, you know, usually the players that we invite are very, um, you know, they're very, they have very distinct styles. So it's not a matter of just getting any old guitar player and it's a matter of finding that, 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 that right personality for the song. It doesn't always work. And, but it, it, that that's that's the idea when we're recording and when we're using other players it's really about their personalities and then them bringing a personality to to the to the songs i guess lyrically that's kind of uh going back to to white off earth now it's a sort of a it's a robert johnson kind of look at the world isn't it well that's interesting um and i sort of thought about it like that yeah i, I guess so you know the yeah i mean johnson johnson's lyrics were obsessed with 
murders of various types. So I guess I guess that's what it is. I mean, with that album, like that's on the Black Eyed Man record, and and a lot of the songs I was trying to write these little narratives, these little short stories, you know, in you know four minute, five minute short stories, and um, so that one falls into that category. And it's completely, you know, it's in sort of the body of work, it's sort of very, those types of songs are kind of unusual in a way for me. Uh, I mean, I did it earlier, earlier in my, I I guess in the earlier records I wrote like that, but, and specifically for Black Eyed Man, but where there's strict, it's strictly a narrative, you know, it really doesn't have any connection to my personal life or what's going on around me or the world is just strictly sort of like a, I want to write a little story here. And, um, so that was kind of, it was kind of different for me. And uh, it, it came, it was a type of song that came very, very fast. I was in Northern uh, Wisconsin uh, with my wife, with Patty, and uh, there was li- literally a little news item <laughs> about a murder in the, tra- in the local trailer park, you know, or nearby trailer park. And I got up sort of in the middle of the night with that in my head and wrote the song. So it was very fast as far as the lyrics go. And then the, the, uh, the, the music took a bit longer, I think, but uh, it, it, yeah, it's just—it's sort of an odd, an odd song in our cat in our catalog. I think. consequences and uh, in this case the consequence was a follow-up song which is quite unusual georgie the sequel yeah um you know murder in the trailer park it, it, it's it's a murder mystery in a way right they're, they're, you don't really know who who um who committed it there's 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 lots of different i bring in certain various characters and and set up a scenario where it could be them who did it or or um so i never answered the question and I, over the years i i always had people come up to me telling me who they thought did it or, or, you know, asking me who did it or you know, what's going on in that song. So, um, and then I went through a period right before we, we settled on doing the Nomad series where I was doing a lot of writing for, for what was going to be our next album. And uh, which basically turned into the wilderness kind of uh, the fourth album in the Nomad series. And almost as a writing exercise, I thought, well, I want to start to sort of reflect back on some of the earlier songs some of the earlier lyrics and uh, so I came up with this idea of actually writing writing a, a song which solves the mystery. And uh, the confession of Georgie E is um, is 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 the uh, is that song. And it and it basically lays out that George Evans, who's in who's in the who's one of the one of the um, suspects in, in the in Murder Train in the Trailer Park, is the one who did it. And it's it's basically a, a song set at his funeral. And um, you know, his having to live with the regrets of, 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 of doing the deed. So, yeah, it's kind of a strange, strange um, ellipse, you know. So it starts, with, starts back in 1993 with Black Eyed Man and goes forward all the way to, I guess, 2011 or 12. I remember when I was doing the book asking Margot about that song and I said, you know, yeah, interesting that it was a sequel. How did you approach that? He said, oh, well, he didn't tell me. I didn't know. <laughs> I know I didn't tell anybody. I just, you know, these things are these are my little secrets until now. <laughs> Mike is Mike won't tell you unless you ask him, kind of thing. So I can see that happening. Mark Mark not knowing, but that's funny because she's got to sing it. You know, 
<laughs> it's interesting. I didn't know that, that that you didn't know. Yeah, well, there's some songs where you need to to give Margot more of a a line into it than than others. I try not to, you know. I really want her to get find her way into the song. Otherwise, I'm, you know, if she, if she can't find a way into the song, then I have to start questioning whether whether uh, the song is valid, you know, like because you know, I, I'm then I'm asking. I mean, she she has a a better understanding of of where I'm coming from as a person than anybody else out there. So therefore a better understanding of, she should have a better understanding of the songs. Um, and I'm asking people who have, you know, no knowledge of, of all the, all they're being confronted with is a song. So, so I have to make sure that the song is relatable to, you know, just everybody, you know, your, your relatively casual listener. And, um, if it's not, then I have to sort of think, even if I think, you know, it's the most brilliant thing I've ever written about me, <laughs> you know, it might not be relevant to anybody else. So I, sometimes I have to, uh, if I have to give too much information to Margot, then I have to question the song. But occasionally, it'll be, you know, there'll be like, a, you know, I love what she's doing with it. And, but I feel like, well, you're not, you know, this, this part isn't quite getting put across. So uh, I'll give her a little bit of a, you know, maybe an attitude or something like that, but very rarely, like Margot's really good at finding her way into it. And I find that, you know, the, if she doesn't find her own way into it, then the song doesn't work. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't find it. You know, she's got a, she's, she's, a, she's like all of us in the band where we, where we have our own way of, of, of performing and our own way of playing our instruments. And, you know, we can't really play like somebody else wants us to play. We only play like we want to play. And that's the same with her voice. Because there were a couple of songs around that time. The Girl Behind the Man Behind the Gun was another one in that that kind of vein, wasn't it? I think, and then revisiting the old characters. I always think there should be like a Cowboy Junkies version of Shortcuts. You know, the the Roy Altman film, where all the characters suddenly appear in one big, one big scene. Yeah, I like that. I like that approach. It's sort of a novelistic thing or, or writerly thing, I guess. There's, um, you know, there's lots of writers who carry characters in their heads and put them into their following books and things like that. You know, it's like, there's this great Murakami story about a monkey who lives in the subway in Tokyo. And uh, he wrote that, I don't know, 20 years ago or something. And then he says that he's always thought about this monkey, what happened to him. And then 15 years later, he wrote another story about him, which was even better than the first one. So it's kind of like that where you just can't drop characters, you know, that you've written, that you've created. And, uh, you know, Mike's, Mike's written about a lot of different kinds of people, I guess, different uh, mindsets. So I'm sure he carries a lot of them into different songs that you may not necessarily identify. You know, for the Nomad record, I, I, I did have that specific idea of, okay, I want to go back and revisit some of these characters. Um, uh, another one is Stranger Here, you know, um, which ended up on the Renan Park record. There's bits of that. That started out as a... Um, as a sort of a answer or, or a, a reflection on Black Eyed Man, the, the actual song Black Eyed Man, um, it, it, it's, it, it didn't end up that way, but it's just it's just that's the way it started out. And uh, maybe Angels in the Wilderness, in a way, is uh, you know the, the sort of reflecting back on the Angels trilogy. I guess it, it, it completes the trilogy of Misguided Angel and Angel Mine. And, um, so there's a few like that. That um, and again, it's strictly sort of exercises that. Some some didn't work and some did and some went off in different directions. At that point, you know, before before it turned into the Nomad record, I was just writing songs for a new album, and, and you know, we were many albums in at that point, and I was trying to I was trying to kind of trick myself into writing songs. You know, how, what how, what do I? 
I didn't really have an approach and I didn't know what type of songs I wanted to write, or I did want to write narrative songs. I wanted to get back to writing some narrative songs because I hadn't done that in a long, a lot of, you know, in, in, over a few records. And, you know, so it was sort of like a little hook for myself. Okay. Let, let, I'm going to revisit some characters and just write songs about where they are now. So there's the confession of Georgie E and there's a few songs like that where I brought characters back. And, um, but you know, that that record then you know was shelved in a way we, and then we, we took off on the nomad record and then that those a lot of those songs ended up on the wilderness which is the fourth installment of of the nomad so they don't really they don't necessarily revolve around my head in, in, a, in a real way it, it, it was more of a a writing hook for myself and then i could just just kind of give myself a direction and i often do that when i'm starting to write a record i i need i need to figure out why i'm writing a record you know at this point it's um I've written a lot of songs and we've done a lot of records and there's almost has to become a, a reason for it. Where back in the days of writing, you know, caution or sun comes up. I was just, I just loved writing. It was, it was a new experience to me. Right. It was, and for the band and, you know, bringing a song into the band was fresh and new and, and me sitting down with my guitar and paper and pen was exciting. Right. And it still is exciting, but it's still, but it's a known experience now. So like a lot of stuff like that, you sort of have to, figure out i just have to figure out a, a reason for doing it <laughs> i don't know that might sound terrible but but uh it's true i just there, there has to be a reason and and i and i do usually find the reason and it's not it's not a pretend reason it's real but but i have to i have to sort of figure figure out why you know we're gonna go now and figure out the next podcast it's a special dedicated to at the end of past taken an album that's 15 years old this month for something more recent just a reminder that the band's new album Songs of the Recollection, featuring covers of songs by the likes of Neil Young, The Stones, Bob Dylan and The Cure, is out now. You can get it now from all the usual outlets or direct from the band at cowboyjunkies.com. The Junkies are back on the road again now, with new tour dates coming in all the time. They're playing North America and all over Europe too, so you can check the website for news of those shows. If you're a Spotify user, you can follow our growing podcast playlist. All the details of that and everything else is in the show notes. See you next time.